Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. A UN report says there are credible allegations of serious human rights abuses in Xinjiang, China. The UN wants Beijing to release detained ethnic minorities immediately. The U.S. bans certain cutting-edge microchips from being sold to China. It's to ensure the advanced tech doesn't go to Chinese military usage. Lawyers for former President Trump and the Justice Department facing off today in a special master hearing. Do the DOJ's allegations about obstruction of justice come down to wording? Hiring is slowing down in the U.S. private sector, but could this be good news in a way, meaning the country is returning to normal? And over a third of a million jobs are projected to be reshored to the states this year. We bring you some analysis. A number of serious human rights violations may have been committed against Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang, China. That's according to a new report by the UN's Office of the High Commissioner on Human Rights. The UN says China may be guilty of crimes against humanity in its treatment of Uyghur Muslims. Michelle Bachelet is the UN's outgoing human rights chief. She made the claim in a long-delayed report released on Wednesday. In May, Bachelet visited Xinjiang in China's northwest. It's home to around 10 million Uyghurs, a largely Muslim ethnic minority. The lengthy report said serious human rights violations have been committed in the province. It says allegations of arbitrary detention and forced medical treatment of Uyghurs are all credible. The UN is calling on Beijing to release all those detained in training centers and prisons immediately. Rights groups have accused Beijing of abuses against Uyghurs that include the mass use of forced labor. The United States has accused China of genocide on this issue. The Chinese regime has denied the allegations and urged the UN not to release the report. Bachelet herself has come under fire for being too soft on China. She released the report only minutes before her four-year term ended on Wednesday. And more news surrounding China. Chip designer NVIDIA said on Wednesday the U.S. government is banning two of its top AI chips from being sold to China. The company says it's over national security concerns as U.S.-China tensions mount over the Taiwan issue. U.S. officials have ordered NVIDIA to stop exporting two top computing chips used in artificial intelligence to China. The chip designer disclosed the ban in a regulatory filing on Wednesday. It's a move that could hamstring Chinese firms' ability to carry out advanced work like image recognition and cost NVIDIA hundreds of millions of dollars in business. The order affects its A100 and H100 chips designed to speed up machine learning tasks. NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang, a Taiwanese-American, had just unveiled the H100 as the firm's new flagship chip this spring. Now the company says the ban could interfere with the completion of its development. According to NVIDIA, U.S. officials said the new rule, quote, will address the risk that the covered products may be used in or diverted to a military end-use or military end-user in China. Asked for comment, the U.S. Department of Commerce would not give details of the new criteria for exporting chips to China, but told Reuters it's reviewing its policies and practices to keep advanced technologies out of the wrong hands. The announcement signals a major escalation of Washington's crackdown on China's technological capabilities as tensions bubble over the fate of Taiwan, where almost all major chip firms have their products made. And across the strait, the president of Taiwan says the island looks forward to producing democracy chips with the United States. The president spoke at a conference with the visiting governor of Arizona about the partnership. 
Both Arizona and Taiwan are global semiconductor leaders, and it is in this industry where our partnership is the greatest. Arizona stands with Taiwan, and we look forward to building on the many opportunities ahead. In the face of authoritarian expansionism and the economic challenges of the post-pandemic era, we look forward to bolstering cooperation with the United States in the semiconductor and other high-tech industries, building more secure and resilient supply chains, and jointly producing democracy chips to safeguard the interests of our democratic partners and create greater prosperity. The Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company is the world's largest contract chipmaker. It's a major supplier for Apple's electronic devices. The company is constructing a $12 billion plant in Arizona. Governor Doug Ducey is the latest in a succession of officials from the United States to visit Taiwan, defying pressure from Beijing not to let such trips take place. The Taiwanese company first announced plans for the Arizona chip plant in 2020. Some of Apple's M-series laptop chips, A-series mobile device chips are expected to see production there. The plant is expected to begin operating in 2024. Beijing claims Taiwan as its territory, despite the communist regime never having ruled the island. The regime has amped up threats on the island's sovereignty with increased military posturing. Moving on to the FBI raid, a judge is set to hear arguments today related to the search of former President Trump's home. Trump and his attorneys are asking for a special master. That person would sort through what the FBI seized and filter out anything that shouldn't be there. But the Justice Department objects, saying they already filtered the materials and what remains is property of the government. The agency also argues a special master could impede an ongoing criminal investigation. And today's Jessica Beatty previews the hearing. Ahead of Thursday's hearing, Trump's team reiterated a request for an impartial special master in a filing Wednesday night, saying the DOJ, which is looking for evidence of criminal wrongdoing, is currently unchecked and could leak or publicize aspects of its investigation with no recourse for Trump. Trump and his team insist he declassified the documents at Mar-a-Lago, so it does not matter whether the documents are marked top secret or not. But the DOJ alleges there's been obstruction of justice. I had told the president this when I worked with him uh, in the Oval Office. It's very rarely the original act that gets people in trouble. It's the attempts to, to obstruct or cover up after the fact. According to a news analysis by Hans Manka in the Epic Times, the DOJ seems to be focusing on two documents from May and June. It could come down to word games. Manka says a subpoena from May asked Trump's team for any and all documents with certain classification markings, meaning the DOJ did not ask for classified documents. It asked for documents with classification markings. In June, one of Trump's lawyers certified that the documents had been handed over and none were withheld. It now appears that statement was untrue, as many documents marked classified were still at Mar-a-Lago. These documents are marked classified and they were not returned after Trump's lawyer on Trump's behalf certified that there were no such documents. So all of these arguments about whether or not Trump waved a magic wand and magically declassified them, they don't really matter as a legal question. Former Deputy Assistant Attorney General John Yu predicts the Trump team will succeed in getting a special master. The judge had indicated she was inclined to appoint one. And Yu says the standard for doing so is exceptional circumstances, 
He points out the FBI search of a former president's home is unprecedented. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Former Trump advisor Peter Navarro appears in court as part of a criminal case filed against him. The case is over his refusal to cooperate with the January 6th committee. The hearing was about his request for additional evidence. What I would ask everybody in this press corps is to read very carefully all of the things that have been filed by both our team and the government's team. Uh, there's, there's truth to be found in that. If you, if you look, this is uh, one of the most complex cases that's ever going to come into this building. We asked the court to require the government to produce additional discovery on potential political influence, uh, undue political influence, um, and the judge has that matter under advisement, and we hope to hear from Judge Maida sometime in the next few days. Discovery refers to sharing evidence before a trial so both sides can prepare their arguments. Navarro faces two counts of contempt of Congress. He was charged with one count for failing to appear before the January 6th House Committee, and the second is for failing to produce documents the committee requested. Under Trump, Navarro served as assistant to the president, director of trade and manufacturing policy, and National Defense Production Act policy coordinator. Navarro says he cannot comply with the January 6th committee's subpoena because former President Donald Trump shielded him with executive privilege. The committee notes that Navarro wrote about the topics he was meant to testify about in his book. Navarro has refused a plea deal offered by federal prosecutors. And moving to South America, the U.S. Embassy in Colombia issued an alert on Wednesday. It warns Americans about the risk of detention along the Venezuela-Colombia border. The alert comes after a number of Americans have recently been detained in Venezuela. At least one, Evan Hernandez, was arrested in March along the border. The alert says the Maduro regime does not notify the U.S. government of detention of U.S. citizens and that the U.S. government does not have access to those who are detained. It also says the U.S. has limited ability to provide services to U.S. citizens in Venezuela since the withdrawal of personnel from the U.S. Embassy in in Caracas. The U.S. Marshals have a list of the 15 most wanted fugitives. One of them was captured in El Salvador. He's from Arizona, and he's been wanted for six years for the alleged murder of his girlfriend. The 30-year-old woman was found dead in San Diego, California apartment in 2016. A warrant was then issued for the arrest of her boyfriend. That's former Marine Raymond McLeod. Local authorities requested the help of the U.S. Marshals. They believe he fled through Mexico to Central America. The agency said he was last seen in Guatemala in 2017 and in Belize in 2018. The 37-year-old was put on the most wanted list in 2021. The U.S. Marshals offered its highest ever reward of $50,000 for his capture. Authorities received a tip that he was teaching English in a city in El Salvador. He was arrested without incident. A news release said he would be deported to San Diego. And up next, some residents along the West Coast say they were confused and afraid yesterday. That's after they were told to evacuate the area immediately. And pushing progressive ideas on children? It's happening in one elementary school, and it's subtle. The school administrator was caught on camera boasting about it. Find out more after the short break. Private sector job growth came up short of expectations for the last month, but a report shows a jump in the number of jobs expected to be reshored to the U.S. this year. That means the pandemic may be causing U.S. companies to secure their supply chains. Our next guest offers insight on this from a recruiting perspective. 
Joining us now to discuss the U.S. economy is Julia Pollack. She's a chief economist at ZipRecruiter, a leading online employment marketplace for job seekers and employers. Pleasure having you on the show today, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be on the show. The new jobs report by ADP shows that only 132,000 jobs were added by U.S. companies in August. This is under half what many economists expected. What do you think is the cause? So for months now, uh, employers have been saying that they plan to hire less in the coming months. So if you look at the regional Fed's future hiring Future, future hires, uh, diffusion indices. Um, if you look at uh, you know job openings, we, we had a three-month decline in job openings. Then again, it's quite confusing to figure out what's happening in this labor market. You know, yesterday's uh, JOLTS report, the day before's JOLTS reports just showed uh, job openings rising again, and um, and so it's really not clear. What what seems to be happening is that employers are trying to prepare for the possibility of a downturn. They're hoping to be able to pull back a little bit, not hire quite as much as they've been doing. So, you know, we might see uh, a sort of petering out in the next couple of months. Uh, we should see a slowdown now that jobs have fully recovered to their pre-COVID level, but it's not going to be a linear decline because there are huge, you know, there's so much consumer demand, there's so much spending going on that, uh, that many employers are just having to hire way more than they would want to. You alluded to how hiring was before the pandemic. Now, ADP's chief economist said the U.S. may be at an inflection point between these supercharged gains to something more normal. What do you make of this? It is about time that we went to more normal job growth based on the fact that we've filled the pre-COVID, you know, the jobs hole left by the pandemic. Um, and also given what's happening with monetary policy. So the Fed you know, is raising rates very aggressively, and that typically reduces household and business access to credit. And it does cause them to sort of hold back a little bit and uh, pause some of their investment uh, and, and reduce their growth plans uh, for, for, you know, for a while uh, until, until uh, the uncertainty is resolved a little bit. Uh, there's such tremendous uncertainty right now that, that many people are going to uh, hold off. The JOLTS report on job openings this week was a huge surprise to the upside. Job openings uh, uh, being revised upwards by a lot for, uh, for June and then rising in July. So this labor market appears still to be remarkably resilient and full of surprises. And, uh, and you know, Friday's jobs report, who, who knows? It, it could be substantially higher than the ADP number. We've seen that happen many times. Um, so let's wait and see. Well, that is good news that you say the job market is resilient. Now, let's look at this from another angle. The Reshoring Initiative published a new report. It projects that about 350,000 jobs could be reshored to the states this year. What's your reaction to this? I think this is fantastic news. Uh, in in 2019, the average monthly net job gain in the United States was 164,000. So basically, this is two months worth of net job gains in a good year, right? Uh, it's a substantial number. It's not, you know, not a small number. Uh, and of course, it follows years and years and years of the U.S. offshoring jobs. Um, of course, the pandemic, I think, made people realize that uh, that these very convoluted, complex supply chains can pose enormous risk. Uh, there was a lot of political risk in many countries as well uh, that, that caused production to, to be you know, put on hold. Uh, and so you know, it, it, I think 
companies are, are finding ways to do what they always really wanted to do. You know, companies usually offshore reluctantly, they, they want to keep their production facilities in the United States going. Um, but it just gets too costly. We, we, we have such a, a disadvantage when it comes to the cost of labor. Uh, but as many developing countries start seeing wages rise very rapidly, some of that gap is narrowing. And it's actually making it relatively attractive to, to come back here. I see what you mean, that they want to minimize their risk. That makes sense. Julia Pollack, Chief Economist at ZipRecruiter. Pleasure speaking with you today. It's been with you too. And in other news, the Minnesota Nurses Association is taking a stand. They voted in favor of authorizing a strike earlier this month. 15,000 nurses, many in the Twin Cities area, announced Thursday they will be walking off the job for three days in September. They say hospital executives aren't doing enough to address matters like short staffing and improving patient care. This strike is historic. Not just because it will be the largest private sector nurses strike in United States history, but because it is the first time so many Minnesota nurses across the state will strike together. The strike is scheduled to start on the morning of September 12th and go through September 15th. Many of these nurses have been working without contracts over the past few months. Many people on the West Coast were told yesterday to evacuate their respective areas immediately. However, it soon turned out that all those people received a false alarm. Here are the details. Some TV viewers in California reportedly received an immediate evacuation notice on Wednesday. The erroneous alert looked like this and repeated Eastern North Pacific almost a dozen times. What actually should have been sent out was an evacuation notification via weather radio about the Root Fire, a brush fire in the Castaic area, a small part of L.A. County. Instead, it was received by TV viewers in multiple counties. The L.A. County's Office of Emergency Management told Fox News that the alert was formatted correctly and shouldn't have triggered an evacuation notice. The Office of Emergency Management also told the outlet that the alert was correctly configured and should not have triggered a notice. Soon after the alert was sent out, the Ventura County Sheriff's Office tweeted that the evacuation notice that was received by some Ventura County residents on television was sent in error by the County of Los Angeles. There is no threat to Ventura County at this time and no need for residents to evacuate. The false alert left some residents confused. One person tweeted, seriously uncomfortable with an evacuation notice for the entire West Coast, especially since they give no specific reason. It's making my stomach hurt in the bad way. Another user asked, can someone at Notify LA either confirm that there is a huge evacuation notice and why, or let everyone know if the message was supposed to just be for the area near Castaic where there are fires. Lots of people freaking out over this vague yet alarming TV alert. The Root Fire, which did require evacuation, grew to over 4,500 acres and was 0% contained as of Wednesday evening. It is not yet clear why the alert was sent to so many people. And over in Connecticut, an elementary school administrator was caught on camera saying that he doesn't hire conservative or Catholic teachers. He says this way, the school can subtly promote progressive ideologies. Here are the details. Undercover journalism group Project Veritas released this video on Tuesday. It shows Jeremy Boland, the assistant principal at Cost Cop Elementary School in Greenwich, Connecticut, 
telling an undercover journalist about his school's teaching practices. Teaching them how to think. Mm -hmm. That's it. It doesn't matter what they think about it. If they think about it in a logical, progressive way, that becomes their own. Like, a, so you kind of like do it on to think in a more liberal way. Mm -hmm. I believe that the, the more progressive teachers are actually more savvy about delivering like, a democratic message without really ever mentioning politics. Oland says he doesn't hire conservatives or Catholics, and he also admits that although he wouldn't ask a candidate's political stance directly, he tries to find out through interview questions. This hiring practice appears to violate Connecticut's anti-discrimination law. So then what do you do with the Catholics? If you find out someone is Catholic, then what? <laughs> so would you ever hire a Catholic then? I agree, but why not? Because um, it's just that there's always that if you were raised on the assistant principal says parents can find out about the subtle indoctrination, but it's okay as long as the school never mentions the politics of it. And then later down the line, you're going to vote Democrat, and you will have done a great service to our country. So it's like you present everything in a way that's like subconsciously influencing the kids to vote liberal in a way, but it's not doing it in such an explicit way to where the parents can actually get mad at you for it. After the video was released, the Greenwich Public Schools superintendent said there will be an investigation. She also said that Boland has been placed on administrative leave. Performing abortions in Texas is now considered a felony, except in cases where the mother's life is in danger. This new law is prompting organizations and companies to find loopholes. Starting Thursday, providing an abortion in Texas can be charged a felony except when saving the mother's life. Abortion providers, not pregnant patients, can face up to life in prison and be penalized for at least $100,000. The Democratic candidate for Texas Governor Beto O'Rourke has opposed Governor Greg Abbott's abortion ban. We all need to understand what the true cost of this decision is. This decision that Greg Abbott made a year ago to sign the most restrictive abortion law. In the past few weeks, people have been looking for ways to circumvent the abortion law. According to media reports, one such organization is a Mexico-based network called Necesito Aborta. They say they're already starting to help women in the U.S. get access to abortion pills to perform self-managed abortions. Dr. Bill Lyle is a board-certified OBGYN. He shares with entities some potential risk of women taking abortion pills by themselves. The number one pregnancy-related killer of women in the first trimester of pregnancy is still a ruptured ectopic pregnancy. A urine pregnancy test only says, congratulations, you are pregnant, but it doesn't tell you where that pregnancy is. And about 1% of the time, that pregnancy can be ectopic or in the tube. And if a woman takes the abortion pill and the pregnancy is in the tube, she's told you're going to have bleeding, cramping, and pain. That's what they tell you to expect from the abortion pill. But the symptoms for a rupturing, hemorrhaging, ectopic pregnancy are the same, bleeding, cramping, and pain. And so we are going to have women who will be harmed because they thought they were treating a pregnancy inside of the uterus when really they had a pregnancy that was inside of the tube. 
Pregnant women have also reportedly been going to floating abortion clinics in federal waters in the Gulf of Mexico. Since June 2022, the Texas legislature has approved $100 million for the Alternatives to Abortion State Program. Its mission is to encourage childbirth support and provide resources for pregnant women and families. When a woman is pregnant, it is the duty of good society to protect both patients, the mom and the baby, and meet those needs. Besides Texas, other states like Idaho, Oklahoma, and Tennessee have also had abortion bans in place to differing degrees of restrictions. Entity News, Texas. An Ohio man accused of raping a 10-year-old girl is set to face trial in October. 27-year-old Gerson Fuentes is pleading not guilty to felony rape charges. A grand jury indicted him last month. Investigators are using DNA from the abortion clinic where the victim had the pregnancy terminated. She had to travel to Indiana to obtain the abortion because it's banned past six weeks of pregnancy in Ohio. Fuentes' trial is set to begin October 13th. And Hawaii's last coal plant closes after 30 years in operation. The facility produced up to one-fifth of the electricity on Oahu, the most populous island in a state of nearly 1.5 million people. In 2020, Hawaii's legislature passed a law banning the use of coal for energy production at the start of 2023. Hawaii intends to transition entirely to renewable energy by 2045. It was the first state to set such a goal. But critics say ending coal energy now is not a wise move. Renewable sources meant to replace coal energy are not online. Yet, because of permitting delays, contract issues, and pandemic-related supply chain problems. So the state will instead burn costly oil to compensate for the loss of coal power. The end of coal and the additional cost of oil will translate to a 7% increase in electricity bills. That's in a state where consumers already face the nation's highest energy and living costs. The tropics and the Atlantic have been remarkably quiet this year. August will not have a single named storm for the first time in 25 years. And that's despite the NOAA and other experts forecasting an above-average season. The National Hurricane Center is actively watching three areas for tropical cyclone formation over the next five days. Two have a high chance of forming, and one off the west coast of Africa has a medium chance of developing. Computer forecast models show a possible hurricane spinning toward the U.S. by Labor Day weekend, but the models then show the storm doing a U-turn and moving back into the Atlantic. And workers are cleaning up a lake near San Francisco, California, where thousands of fish have died due to recent algae bloom in the Bay Area. Workers donned hazmat suits with N95 masks, gloves, and boots and climbed into the mud of Lake Merritt's shores. From there, they used nets on poles to collect the rotting fish. The lake is a popular destination for locals and tourists. California is preparing for a record-breaking heat wave, and officials say they want to clean up the lake to make it safe for anyone trying to cool off by its shores over Labor Day weekend. The state is bracing for temperatures of up to 115 degrees in the inland valleys and 100 degrees along the coast. Police body cam video shows the moment two men were rescued off the coast of Boston Harbor. Local media reported the men were father and son. Their lobster boat sunk after striking rocks near Graves Light Station about nine miles from the coast. Both men appeared weak from the ordeal and struggled to climb onto the rescue craft. The incident was possibly caused by the boat becoming entangled in a lobster trap, which led to the vessel colliding with rocks near the light station. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. 
And coming up, an official warning from Taiwan. The island vows to use naval, air, and coastal firepower if invaded by China. And they're prepared to back it up. The self-ruled island proposes a near 14% boost to next year's military spending. That's as the U.S. makes its largest arms sale to Taiwan since President Biden took office. We'll have all that and more for you right here on NTD News. Welcome back. An official warning of war from Taiwan. As Beijing makes military activities around the island a new norm, Taiwan responded with warning shots and a vow to take strong countermeasures to defend itself. Let's zoom in. We will use naval and air forces and coastal firepower to dispel PLA, People's Liberation Army, aircraft and ships that enter our territorial seas and airspace. Taiwan's defense ministry delivered the warning Wednesday. When Chinese unmanned drones enter our airspace, besides closely monitoring their activities, we will also elevate air defense missile alerts to track the unmanned aerial vehicle. But if they are not dispelled, and if we determine that there is a danger posed to us, we will exercise the right of self-defense in accordance with operational orders and counterattack. One day before, Taiwan fired warning shots at a Chinese drone for the first time. It had been buzzing around an offshore islet. That action followed Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen's order to take strong countermeasures against Chinese provocations. Taiwan has repeatedly complained of Chinese drones flying close to the small group of islands it controls. They're located near China's coast. Ever since U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan earlier this month, China has been holding military exercises around the island. And the PLA will try to make a new rule of navigation in Taiwan Strait if the new military uh, normal status uh, has been successfully established. And the PLA then will gradually change the international waterway uh, of Taiwan Strait from high sea for navigation freedom to inland sea of China. And after the new military uh, normal status has been uh, consolidated, the PLA will reject the passage of foreign uh, naval ship uh, uh, through Taiwan Strait unless under its permission. The PLA stands for the People's Liberation Army, the formal name for China's military. Beijing claims Taiwan as part of mainland Chinese territory. Democratically governed Taiwan rejects that claim. Taiwan's current government used to rule China but fled to Taiwan after losing a civil war. Still, the Chinese Communist Party has vowed to take the island by force if necessary. The U.S. doesn't have formal diplomatic relations with Taiwan, but Washington is bound by law to provide the island with arms to defend itself. A formal U.S. arms sale to Taiwan is likely on its way. It's now in the process of getting approval from Congress. It's the largest in scale since President Biden took office. The Biden administration is sending a new approval request to Congress, a $1.1 billion arms sale to Taiwan. According to Politico, the package would be the largest since Biden took office and would include missiles and radars. News of the planned sale comes amid heightened tensions with China. After U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan earlier this month, 
The State Department informed Congress of the sale last Monday. The notification starts the process that will lead to a formal arms sale proposal from the department. Legislators are expected to approve the sale. Taiwan proposed a near 14 percent boost to next year's military spending. Aircraft from the Royal Australian Air Force and U.S. Marine Corps perform something called an elephant walk at Base Tyndall in Australia. It's part of the flight showcase for exercise Pitch Black 2022. An elephant walk refers to the plane's taxiing in dense formation before takeoff. Apparently, the clustered groups of aircraft look like a herd of elephants walking into the next watering hole. The exercise demonstrates the ability of each pilot as well as their precise teamwork Pitch Black is one of the Australian Air Force's largest and most complex exercises. This year, the event is being held at the Darwin, Tyndall and Amberley bases and will run until September 8th. The exercises are designed to boost international cooperation. They involve up to 2,500 personnel and some 100 aircraft from 17 countries around the world. And still to come, an informant for the Canadian Intelligence Agency was found to be a double spy. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau promises oversight. And Belgium tries to lower its energy consumption. The government announced a series of plans amid rising energy costs. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. And over to Canada, a man working for the country's intelligence agency was found to be a double spy. He helped a young girl travel to Syria to join the ISIS terrorist group. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau reacts. There are rigorous oversight mechanisms that are in place with the clearances necessary to look into uh, the operations and the decisions taken by intelligence services in their work to keep Canada and Canadians safe in a very dangerous world. Um, we will continue to ensure that that proper oversight uh, is done and, uh, as necessary, uh, look at further steps uh, if, uh, if necessary. It was revealed on Wednesday that the agent, Mohammed al-Rashid, was providing intelligence to the Canadian government while at the same time leading individuals to join ISIS. In 2015, he helped a 15-year-old British teenager leave Britain to join ISIS in Syria. He reportedly met with her in Istanbul. Trudeau emphasized that intelligence agents are bound by strict rules and principles that they must follow. And in Belgium, the country's government on Wednesday announced a series of measures to tackle soaring energy prices. This includes cutting power consumption in public buildings. We will consult the private sector and talk with them about what they can do to reduce consumption in shops and businesses. It is a mission that requires the involvement of all of us. If every citizen saves energy when it is possible to do so, their budget will benefit and prices will go down. We often see that small streams become big rivers. Heating in public buildings will be limited to 66 degrees and the use of air conditioning will be reduced. Lights at offices and monuments will be switched off at 7 p.m. They're also considering turning off lights on highways and in cities at certain hours. The Belgian government also said that by the end of September, it will present a proposal to tax the excess profits of energy companies. This applies to both nuclear and non-nuclear energy companies. It would propose it, its purpose would be to keep energy prices low for consumers. The war in Ukraine has forced Belgium to rethink its energy plans. The nation has already made efforts to extend the lives of its nuclear reactors. 
The Statistics Office of the EU said earlier this year that Belgium had the highest energy inflation in the group. The Spanish government is offering free transport passes to the public this month. The policy comes at a time when the country's inflation nears a record high, over 10 percent. The scheme is designed to reduce living expenses and promote public transportation. It will cover local and medium-range intercity routes, but long-distance travel and one-way tickets won't be included. So far, almost half a million people have pre-ordered the free transport card. One of them said it would save her an estimated $80 to $90 per month. A similar plan was rolled out successfully in Germany from June to September. Spain's program also includes discounts for other types of public transportation and made total to 75 million free ride trips by the end of the year. The cost could amount to around $200 million of tax money. Denmark's largest bank, Danske Bank, made a major resolution this week. It will wipe out the debt of 90,000 Danish customers. The decision came after the bank discovered systematic errors in its debt collection system. Since 2019, Danska has been working on the situation and compensating affected customers. About 150,000 cases have already been dealt with. But new problems keep emerging. The timeline for a full resolution could extend to 2024. The bank says the time and cost to settle each case would outweigh the potential repayment. Danska notes that they have set aside about $90 million to compensate customers for any over-collections connected to the issue. The worst cost-of-living crisis in a generation is hitting some pet owners hard. A pet charity in London says they've seen a sharp increase in the number of people giving up their pets this year, as well as a significant drop in the number of pet adopters. NTD's Trevor Piper has more from London. As costs are soaring, many pet owners find themselves struggling to keep their animals. Colin, or Tutai Hughes, is one of them. People might think, well, well, if you get rid of the cats, then you'd have a bit more money in your pocket. But that's just not an option. That's be like saying, well, you know, we can't afford to look after the kids anymore. Let's, let's put them up for adoption. He had to give up three kittens for adoption when he found himself homeless and living in a van after his divorce. Having managed to find his own flat recently, Otutai Hughes finds it very worrying to see energy and food prices go up day by day. Georgina Costi from animal welfare charity Mayhew says they have seen a sharp increase in the number of people signing over their pets this year, combined with a significant drop in the number of people offering a home to animals. A lot of people are too embarrassed to tell us the real reasons. Um, but like I say, you know, of those people that have actually told us that they, that they quite simply can't afford to care for their pet anymore. Some owners have to give up their pets because of veterinary fees. So as well as, although we're not sure as to Belle's history, she did come to us and she needed um, several lumps removed and things like that, which would have um, obviously cost an owner quite a bit. The charity now looks after 14 dogs and 75 cats and says it's at capacity. Nobody knows how bad this cost of living crisis is going to get. I mean, we, we could see this impact on pet owners escalate. Um, you know, we, we know that it's bad now. Who knows how bad it's going to get. The government is facing widespread calls to do more to offer relief, but no new measures are expected before the Conservative Party chooses a new Prime Minister next week. Britons will see a further 80% increase in their annual household energy costs from October. Trevor Piper, NTD News. A cargo ship that collided with a natural gas tanker earlier this week near Gibraltar was leaking oil today. Authorities say efforts are underway to salvage the vessel. 
The cargo ship was beached to prevent it from sinking in the Bay of Gibraltar. All 30 people on board, including 24 crew members and six surveyors, were evacuated. The Gibraltar Port Authority said today that a small amount of oil escaped the perimeter of a boom set up after the accident. A salvage team on board identified the source of the leak and were able to make repairs. Authorities are collecting the free-floating oil that had already leaked. Gibraltar's government said the time frame for salvaging the hull of the cargo ship will likely extend longer than the previous expectation of a few weeks. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And just ahead, the French tourism industry is booming. Pandemic lockdowns crushed the sector over the last two years, but data from this summer shows tourists are back in force. And a cat hotel in Paris is hosting feline guests while their owners revive an interest in travel after the pandemic. Its reservation list is full until next February. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. Good to have you back. Moving to France, inflation, a historic heat wave, and wildfires. But that hasn't stopped the tourism industry. It's busier than ever. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports on tourists who say they're glad to go out again after pandemic lockdowns. Streets in the iconic Montmartre neighborhood in Paris are bustling with activity. Tourists are browsing in gift shops, dining at restaurants, and taking selfies. It's pleasant. It feels like it is summer, like COVID-19 is over. In Germany, they are stricter when it comes to COVID rules. There is more of a concerned atmosphere, so being here really feels like a holiday for us. Preliminary data shows French tourism was historically high over the summer. 35 million French people went on vacations. That's roughly half of the population. But it's the tourism from foreigners that has really picked up. We are in Montmartre, so there are obviously a lot of tourists, and most of our customers are usually tourists. But it is true last year, we were mostly serving French customers. On the contrary, now and for the past few months, customers generally speak a foreign language. We can see the return of tourists thanks to the languages people speak at our café. France depends heavily on tourism. The industry generates 8% of national GDP and provides 2 million jobs. Recent data shows revenue per available room is up over 20% compared to summer 2019. The increase is driven by a return of wealthy foreign tourists, notably from the United States and from countries along the Persian Gulf. We had uh, uh, plans to go as a family uh, here in, in Paris as well as other parts of Western Europe two years ago and we had to cancel those uh, for summer 2020, so long deferred trip. In 2019, France was the most visited country in the world, attracting nearly 90 million foreign tourists. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. With Parisians ver- reviving the joy of travel, a local cat hotel is in full swing. They will be taking in feline guests for short stays when their owners are out of town. Let's take a look. Cats have accompanied many Parisians through the two-year COVID-19 lockdown. As owners warm up to traveling again after the pandemic, they are boarding their beloved pets in a cat hotel. As I travel quite often on weekends or on long trips, and this is a sick cat, 
I needed to find a boarding house that I know can administer his medication and every two days give him an injection. At the Cat's Tree Hotel in Paris, all 24 cubicles are now fully booked. Prospective guests need to make reservations well in advance of travel. Compared to last year and to the first lockdowns, this year, the month of August, had been really booked since February. There is really an increase in reservations, and especially people making arrangements ahead of time. Most feline guests really enjoy the temporary accommodations. Some of them snooze on couches, others sit high up in the center's tree-shaped climbing structure, observing street life from a ledge by the window. We're lucky to have daylight streaming into the playroom, and it was actually done on purpose to put the playroom here for the cats to enjoy. It's an observation activity. When cats are at home, they often observe what is going on from behind a window. Twice a week, the hotel management sends photos and messages to the owners reporting on their cat's current status. It's hugely reassuring. It's a bit like when we send children to summer camp. We'd love to know how it goes. In true Parisian style, the hotel also provides customized services like massages, brushing and a transport service to pick up guests. And in other news, Royal Caribbean is putting SpaceX Starlink Internet service on its cruise ships. The cruise line company, which also operates Celebrity Cruises and Silver Sea Cruises, says that the service will make the Internet experience at sea faster and more reliable. It tested the service on one of its ships over the summer. It's set to launch officially on September 5th on the Celebrity Beyond. The company expects to have the service fully deployed across its fleet by the first quarter of 2023. SpaceX's boat-focused internet service debuted earlier this summer. And coming up, a new study shows that beaches may not be as safe as we thought. More sharks are swimming around near shore than previously estimated, but the biggest danger is to the sharks. Find out more after the short break. Peruvian and Japanese archaeologists discovered a 3,000-year-old tomb in Peru. They think it's where an important priest was buried. The grave was found at Paco Pampa Archaeological Site. It contained a priest's remains along with exotic objects and musical instruments. Some of them are made of seashells and stones. A Japanese archaeologist said that buried in the grave were strombus snails. They are found only in Ecuadorian waters. This could imply the priest held an important post. The tomb became the most important finding from Paco Pampa, where so far two tombs dating from 700 and 600 BC were discovered. These are the Lady of Paco Pampa and the Serpent Jaguar Priest. Beachgoers in urban areas are probably swimming near sharks without even realizing it. That's according to a new study by experts at the University of Miami. They track the movements of these ocean predators off the coast of the city. These beachgoers are likely to be swimming near sharks without even realizing it. A new study has found that sharks are swimming closer to crowded beaches than we previously thought. Experts at the University of Miami tracked the ocean predators' movements off the coast of the city. Neil Hammerschlag is the lead study author. What we were trying to do is track these sharks to see if they would be avoiding areas really close to the city that were polluted, 
lots of boat traffic, lots of, you know, human disturbance. We really thought they would because studies of like big land predators have found that, you know, wolves and bears tend to avoid being around big cities. And that's not what we found at all with the sharks. In fact, uh, we found the sharks spending quite a lot of time close to what we called like urban areas that really close to the metropolis of Miami. The sharks were monitored for several years using a technique called passive acoustic telemetry. Three different species of shark, the bull shark, nurse, and great hammerhead shark, were tagged with small transmitters that emit ultrasonic sounds. Researchers then placed listening stations underwater to collect data. Hammerschlag says the findings shouldn't be cause for alarm for swimmers, these sharks were cruising up and down the coastline in areas that, you know, there are people that bathe in the ocean. And I think, although this might make you a bit nervous, to me, it just proves the point that sharks, you know, really don't want to bite people. And that, in fact, sharks really tolerate people and tend to avoid them. He also says it's unclear why sharks aren't repelled by cities, given their high levels of noise, light, and air pollution. Knowing that sharks may be lingering near shore, Hammerschlag advises beachgoers to avoid swimming when there is low visibility. But given the rarity of shark attacks, his main concern is for the sharks themselves, who face threats from fishermen and polluted shorelines. And that's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.